Kia ora. Welcome to the Arise Church podcast. For more details, you can find us at arisechurch.com. But we're going to hear from the head of Arise Care, James Duxfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today's message, I am speaking about God's heart. And this is not to motivate anybody to do anything specific. I'm hoping that the revelation that God has been taking me on a journey of, of His heart, uh, I'll be able to impart some of that today to you. Um, and yeah, yeah, there's we are. So, I mean, look, it's not going to be a super funny one uh, from James today. There's this piece of sticker on there that's annoying me. Uh, it's powerful. But has anyone ever felt something instinctively? You're like, I just know straight away in the moment, I'm instinctively know this is not right. We're going to stop this or we're going to do this is awesome. I know it. I just know it in here. You know, for me, I had a horse one day. Her name was Gloria. I inherited from my sister's horse, had a foal and we named it Gloria. And uh, one day I was looking after her. I just inherited it because they had moved away from home. And so I was like, brilliant. I'm 13 and this is my horse now. Sup, Gloria. And I, one day I was fixing up a fence out the back for her area to be fed, and I tied her halter with a rope to a pallet, you know, a piece of wood square. And if you, you all know horses. Um, uh, you're not supposed to tie horses to things that can move, and this wasn't very heavy, and she jerked her head a little bit, and it lifted the pallet off the ground, which spooked her even more. So she was, like, rearing up, freaking out, as she was lifting this pallet close to her face each time, she, and she eyes were rolling back. She was freaking out. And instinctively, in a moment, I knew what to do, even though I didn't know much about horses or this horse particularly, I just ran over, jumped over the pallet, grabbed her by the halter, brought my face right up to her face. She lifted me literally a meter off the ground as she reared up and I held on and I said, Gloria, it's okay, settle down, girl. And she, as she was distracted by me, she calmed down, put her head down, I was able to untie her from the pallet. But I didn't know that that's what you should do. I just knew in an instant, instinctively, this horse was in trouble and I need to do something about it. You know, and we have these instincts. We're like, ah, oh, something. We, sh- we should do something about it. And I think this is one that I know that is fairly, hopefully, universal in human history and in, in us as humans is when we see people that are hurt and suffering, our response instinctively is to do something about it. We know it. We're like, ah, oh, man, I should do something. I see it. And I'm like, oh, I should, I feel something in here. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or non-Christian. This instinct lives inside of us because God made us, man and woman, in his image. In his image, he made us. So this tells me that that instinct is a good instinct. It's something that God placed in the hearts of everybody. To say, when you see something like that, there's something in us as a part of who God is, to say, we should do something about that. And this is Jeremiah 22, verse 16. He gave justice and help to the poor and needy, and everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to know me, says the Lord? You know, we know this instinctively, but really the Bible starts to paint a much clearer picture that this is an irrefutable and unseparatable part of God, of who he is, that if we are going to be followers of him, 
We have to have that revelation of who he is in our life and how we outwork him in the world around us. That when we see somebody in need, when we see brokenness and pain and suffering, we feel that instinct to respond, but it goes beyond that. Some people use that instinct to be like, oh, we're just going to do it. We're just going to do it. And then they get disenchanted. It doesn't work out. They hurt people rather than helping them. They're like, okay, we're up. Because they base their actions on instinct rather than what we know we need to base it on, which is the Word of God and a revelation of who God is through everything that we do. So when I started in Arise Care, I took over um, after a season in youth. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Once again, I inherited this horse, and I was like, all right, what do we do here? Instinctively, we know we just got to do stuff. But I was like, let's base this on the Word of God. And so we came up with six areas that the Bible is very specific and clear that God expects His church, His people, His sons and daughters to be involved in. And that's the sick, the poor, the vulnerable women, vulnerable children, the refugees, and the imprisoned. That we would say we are going to engage intentionally in these areas, not because we instinctively know that we probably should, but because Bible, the Word of God tells us so. And then I took over and I was like, yeah, let's start doing stuff. And then, you know me, I, you guys know me, um, you know, I get excited and stuff and we start doing stuff. And he was like, oh, take it easy, James. Settle down. You know, my least favorite phrase. Um, and people began to come out, both outside of the church, when I'd meet with other organizations, inside the church, whatever, and begin to tell me why we shouldn't, tell me why it was going to be very hard and they would come up with reasons. It's too hard, and you won't actually make a real difference. We've tried, and it doesn't really work that well. These people don't actually deserve your help, you know? Or maybe they deserve the situation that they find themselves in, you know? You know, the, these things, they, they dressed it up in other language, but these were the sentiments that started to come through. Watch out, you'll be taken advantage of, you know? And, uh, you know, yeah. You'll make things worse. You don't know what you're doing. I was like, ah, okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> we're already at maximum capacity. We're doing everything we can anyway. There's no room to add any more to this fold. It's not our responsibility. Someone else is already doing it, so don't worry about it. And the last one, which is fairly common, we just don't know what's going on. <laughs> we haven't like, done any studies or anything, so maybe there's people that need help. Maybe there isn't. We don't know. And they don't know, and they're like this. And, but I was like, no, let's not base it on those things. Let's base it on the Word of God. If the Word of God tells us to do it, let's do it. And so that's at the heart of who we are as church and should be at the heart of who we are as Christians. Luke 16, verse 32. If you love those that love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those that love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those you expect repayment, what credit is it to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you, this is crazy, you will be children of the Most High God. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And I used to read that and be like, yeah, 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 sweet ass, my enemy. I don't know who's that, Hitler, someone, you know? The bad guys, I don't know who they are. Who's my enemy, you know? But actually, when you read that and you begin to look at that word a bit more closely, ekthros, 
is what it is, translates directly to unwanted, unpleasant, hated by society, the opposite to you, broken, you know? And all of a sudden you read that and it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more challenging to us directly as we begin to say, ah, actually maybe I have been prioritizing care and investment in people that I know are connected and a part of who I am. And these people over here, maybe, maybe not so much of a priority in my life. And this is not for me to be like, hey man, do a better job, everybody. I'm doing a great job. No, I'm challenged daily by this in my own life. To be like, this is not about us doing something specific, getting tick boxes done, but actually being like, what is God's heart? And how can I have that more in my life? We've been doing a season of fasting a couple of weeks ago. Fasting is about drawing away from the things of this world and connecting with the things of God. You know, And so that is a process. And it says in Isaiah 58, is this the kind of fasting that I've chosen? Oh, and, it, and he talks about like just fasting, just, just taking a day where you don't eat food. But then it says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. So if this is us, that's amazing for me when I read that. Because I was like, the same process of fasting, of pushing away the things of this world that would corrupt us and to draw closer to the things of God is the same as when I fast, as when I decide to care for those that are in need, to find people that in no way can give back to me and release blessing into their life, to add value and to share God's love with them through tangible means there's a process that begins to happen in my own heart as I align with God's heart. And that is what is so powerful. I'm going to need my water. I'm drying out. I didn't bring it. Sorry. I apologize. <laughs> this is William Booth. We all know William Booth. He's a good guy. Um, launched the, the Salvation Army for those who don't know. But he was very poor growing up. So poor that the family sent him out to work uh, and to start training and work at 13, got saved at 15, began to preach on the streets to the people that would live on the streets. Those who were poverty-stricken beyond anything else. No one else would listen to him because he's so poor himself that he could only preach to it, the others that were around him in those situations, begin to preach it. Um, and he, wrote, he writes this book after he has gone through a season of building and launching the Salvation Army. His book's entitled In Darkest England, and the way out, which I love. Just as a side tangent, it's not like, oh, terrible, you know, this is how bad the world is and how broken it is. No, but he's like, and <laughs> there's a solution. There's a God that loves him and that can actually bring healing to brokenness, freedom to lives, and that's who we have living inside of us. And sometimes I think that's a problem. We learn in this world how to be good, critical thinkers, how to tear stuff apart. Be like, hmm, there's a thought. I was at university, and they're like, here's this guy, he's researched this area for 50 years, let's tear his idea apart. And I was like, well, what are we, what's going on here? And I was like, let's take that, let's build on it, <laughs> you know, build something good. Um, but we get trained in this, critical thinking, but not creative solutions. There's no creative solution training course I've heard of you know, lately. You know, that's like, let's find the problems in the world and begin to find ways 
to respond to it. And I'll tell you why, and that's because it's impossible without God. It's impossible without him. But anyway, so he's like, he's got, he's got solutions here because he's a Christian connected to God. But this is what he says in his book. And this, is, this really hit home. When I read it, I was like, ah, man, you know, this is a long time ago. But it's still so true for me personally today. The exceeding bitter cry of the disinherited has become so familiar to us in our ears. It's just the dull roar of the streets or the drone of the wind through the trees. It rises so unceasingly year in, year out, and we become too busy, too idle, too indifferent, or too selfish to spare it a thought. Only now and then, on rare occasions, when some clear voice is heard giving more articulate utterance to the miseries of miserable men, do we pause our regular routine of our daily duties and shudder as we realize for one brief moment what life must mean to the inmates of the slums. But one of the grimmest social problems of our time should be sternly faced, and this is it, this is the statement, not with the view to generate profitless emotion, but with a view to its solution. And that is often where our instinct ends. It's emotions. We get these emotions. We're like, ah, we'll do something. And then we're like, let's attach it to a cause. Let's move everyone else's emotions. Get them to give to this specifically. But actually to be like, before that, is our heart changed? Are we like God in this moment? Are we receiving from him to be like, no, I'm not going to just lean on emotions. And he says profitless. He had seen charities come and go trying to do stuff in the streets of London. And he's like, no, not to profitless emotion but to a solution. And he goes on, which I love in the next part of the thing. He's like, now look, I know that it is, uh, there's an audacity. For me to merely suggest that there would be a solution is to honestly takes my own breath away. But if there is the possibility, if we rebel against the fatality of these situations and say, no, our God has a solution, then we should act and act now. And that's what I love when I read these stories. So the first thing we must do if we are to receive, and this is not about a direct action, you've already given in the offering. Good job, tick it off, man, don't worry about it. Now it is about us saying it's our heart that must change. It is us. Oh my gosh, I couldn't see the one and I thought I was out of time. It's, it's fine. It's just zeros across. It's like, wow. Um, we'll come back next week, no jokes. Um, but that we would be transformed into God's image more and more as we push away the things of this world and engage in the things of God. And to do that, the first thing we must do is we must see. We must open our eyes and we must see. Proverbs 29 verse 7, the righteous consider the, poor, the cause of the poor, but the wicked do not understand such knowledge. Some translations say willfully try to push that knowledge away. To actually say, you know what, I'm just going to engage. And I know that that is not a fun process. To actually say, you know what, I'm not going to just read something on stuff and be like, mm, is that true or not? I'm not sure what's actually going on. But to actually engage in understanding and seeing the spaces and the people that are affected by suffering, loss, lack, and brokenness to engage in that space, to actually say, you know what? And for some of you, this will be great. Just read the New Zealand Health Review. 365 pages of some dry 
statistics and bar graphs, but that will give you a good picture. Some of you will be about engaging in something space that is local to you and being actually, I'm going to get involved in a breakfast club and actually meet some people that I know are in a situation that is full of hardship and brokenness and lack. To actually see it, to open our eyes and understand that, yes, one in three women, we heard it last week, are abused in New Zealand. 40,000 kids live below the poverty line in New Zealand. And then we start going internationally and forget about it, man. It's millions and millions of orphans and people being sold into sex slavery and problems on problems on problems. Darkness is very dark and we must see it. Because when we see it, when we have a right relationship with God, when we're connected, it will inspire us to say there is a solution to this. This is darkness, but I have light. That there is something that can happen here that will change lives forever. That we must see it. And great heroes of this area through history, Florence Nightingale, a very rich, influential woman, you know, gives it up to serve and to be a nurse on the front lines. William Booth, we've already talked about. William, William Wilberforce wrote, writes a book, which, is, which I find hilarious because he must have known people wouldn't want to read his book. So he tried to like put in a real good burn in the title of his book. This is what it's called. A practical view of the prevailing religious system of professed Christians in the higher and middle classes of society, dot, 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 contrasted with real Christianity. <laughs> I was like, I was like, okay, there's a good one, man. You got me just in the title um, to put a dot, dot, dot in your title of your book as well. It's crazy. But that book's incredible and dedicates his entire life as a politician to ending slavery, you know, and, and honestly suffers so much to do so, and it takes him his entire life. But there's another young man that I've been reading the story of, which is incredible, an 18-year-old from Switzerland, begins to gather a crew of other young men and women, and they read the Bible, pray, and go out into the streets doing acts of, of charity and care for those that are in need. As a young man, Bible study, 18 years old, gathering this group, doing that, realizing that that's who God is, and that's what he wants to do. And they call it the Thursday Assembly, which I was like, that's a great name. And then a couple of years later, he gets into business, starts a few businesses, and he goes to another country, and he is courtside to an incredible battle between uh, the French army and the Austrian army. And he's, he's Switzerland. He has no horse in this race. And he's like, you know what? I'll just write down what I see here. And he begins to describe the battle and the people in the battle. And each time he describes them as a Christian, he assigns value to every person whether it's a general on that side or a foot soldier on that side. Everyone is heroic, noble, strong, has a, has a sense of camaraderie and working together, and he's putting value on every single person on both sides of the conflict. And then he begins to write the picture of the hundreds of thousands of bodies that litter the hills after the battle, and in great detail how broken they are. And then he says he starts to help. He starts to help as many as he can, going from person to person, caring for them. And he says, and this is what we have to understand, is we can do what is right in front of us. We're like, oh, it's too big. Then I can't do anything, and we don't. But I'm saying that God's like, no, just do what's in front of you. And he says this, the feeling of one's own utter inadequacy in such extraordinary and solemn circumstances is unspeakable. It is indeed excessively distressing to realize that you can never do more than to help those 
who are just before you. And that is God's heart. He would go from town to town. Jesus' story is that, helping those that were right in front of him. And that young man, he finishes that book and then he begins to share it with leaders across Europe. And Henry Dunnett launches the Red Cross a couple of years later, who last year gave life-saving assistance to 230 million people just in the last year alone. A young man who was like, no, I know that this is who God is. And then was like, I'm not just going to wait. I'm going to actually start to do something. So first, we must see, and then we must do something. We must engage in the space. There's nothing more powerful and eye-opening to actually engaging in a space to say, I'm going to care for this person here today, to actually care. We must go. We must connect with people. Mother Teresa said, when you no longer want to spend time with those you profess to care for, you stop being a minister of God's love and become simply a social worker. And that's no offense to social workers, but we all understand that the power of the love of God is what changes lives. It's the one thing that can actually loose the chains of poverty and lack and depression and hardship and set people free. And as we align our heart with God, not only does it help, not only is it important, not only do we become people that fulfill our Christian walk. And honestly, you know, that's, you know, in Matthew 25, right? The scary chapter where it's like, uh, you know, you didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't give me water when I was thirsty. You didn't clothe me when I was naked. And they're like, when, when do we do that? When you neglected to do it for the least of mine, you neglected to do it for me. And the worst scripture, though, there is when he says, depart from me, you never knew me. And that I can't abide. I cannot live a life. I will make many, many, many mistakes. Ooh, I have made many mistakes. I will not tick all the Christian boxes, but I refuse to live a life where you can say about me that he didn't know God. I cannot end my life with that being a statement about who I am. And the Bible's like, if you want to know me, you must engage in this space. It will change us from the inside out. And this challenges me just as it challenges anybody here today. Now, as we align, the good thing is God begins to do a work in our own life. It purifies our heart. As we begin to resist the things of this world and engage in the things of God, He purifies our heart. You know, the Bible says it. You know, we say James 1.27 Religion that is the Father in heaven accepts as pure and faultless as this is to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep yourself from being polluted by this world. And honestly, that is the powerful thing that I've realized. I was like, first when I began to read that, when I started this seven years ago, I was like, I don't understand. Why does the Bible keep saying that purity comes from engaging in this space? But the more I engaged in the space, the more I realized it was happening in my own heart. That as I engaged in the space, because I mean, this is the thing. You have pride, right? We all have a little bit. But it's very hard to be like, I will now anti-pride. I will stop pride. You know, it's not really just like an antidote you can just slap on there. There's a process of cleaning that out of our heart and engaging in these spaces really does begin to do that. I begin to be more thankful for the house that I have as I visit houses where there are 10, 15 people in a one-bedroom apartment you know, which is the definition of homelessness in New Zealand. And you begin to be like, oh man, God, I'm so thankful for what you have given me. 
that I'm not looking at Instagram comparing my life to someone with a mansion in America, but I'm actually engaging and caring for somebody that has so much less than me. And I'm like, man, I am unworthy. God has saved me. But by the grace of God, there goes I. And pride begins to remove its grip on my heart. The love of money begins to remove itself from my heart. Discontentment, lack of gratitude, a hard heart, greed, comparison, and so many other things begins to be washed out of ourselves. That's why as a church, we are committed to this. To say we are going to do this, not because it makes us look good out there, because honestly... I don't know if it does. No one sees to care. <laughs> you know, it's, you don't even, I can't, look, I've been working in Syria for over 10 years now, and I couldn't tell you day from day which was the popular cause to get behind that's going to get you a thumbs up. Honestly, it's honestly, it breaks my heart to know that there are people still suffering, and now that cause is no longer something that the world sees as deserving of aid and care. You know, the war in Ukraine, like, comes and goes. It's everywhere. And now I hear nothing, and yet last week, I get an email from a woman in Ukraine saying, I need to get out of this country, and I have a disabled husband. No one is taking us. We've heard that New Zealand churches can sponsor refugees. Will you sponsor us? And I know that I can't. As a church, we have to be chosen by the government as a sponsor. I know I've read through everything, and so I have to give her the list of churches that had been chosen, Say, look, I'm praying that somebody from these will have an available slot. But I want you to know that God loves you and I am praying for you. And it hurts, but you're like, man, that comes and that goes in a moment. And I love to go back to these things because it changes the whole game. When it's about God's love and a response and obedience to his word, it's easier. The responsibility of me is not to fix the world's problem, but to be obedient to the word of God. And I can do that. And God empowers me to do that. You know, people are like, you're going to get taken advantage of. And we're like, yeah, I know. People steal stuff from our breakfast club all the time, midweek, between breakfast clubs. And we're like, yeah, that makes our life easy. You know? Transport cost is half our cost, man. Like, you know, Somebody was like putting multiple addresses to get more care packages on uh, Christmas, big hearts. And people were like, hey, man, this is... And I was like, get another one and take it to them. And be like, we know what you're taking it, but here's another one. Because the first one you took, you'd be like, ah, take advantage of the second one. But the third one... You start to think, oh, wait, maybe these guys, these guys are legit. Maybe God does love me. Maybe there's something going on here that I don't understand. And we get to be a part of that, and it's the tiny little things that we get to engage in. First, we must see. First, we must actually go and do in this space. The band can come and join me now. There's so many other things that I begin to discover through the Word of God and through experience about how engaging in this space makes our Christian walk better, changes us for the better, as we do it not in response to an instinct or an emotion, but in response to who God is and his word. We are guided and we are strengthened in that space. And so that's good. And we're like, that's brilliant. That's good. But then the other side of it is what impact it has. When we say we're coming, that's why we say with love on the back of the T-shirts, because that's what we're trying to bring. I can't feed every family every meal, you know? We can't be there every time someone's abused, but we can commit to consistently bringing God's love in a way that can be heard. You know, in the Bible, Matthew 13, you know, talks about the parable of the sower, right? So seeds. And it says, some of the seeds fall on the hard, trodden down path. 
And the devil comes along and steals that seed, good news of the gospel, away from them. And I begin, God began to speak to me about that, about how that, who those people are. That the people that have been downtrodden by suffering and hurt and lack and brokenness and abuse, those are the people that have been downtrodden by life. And then they hear the message of a good and loving God and they can't understand it. And that's what that verse says in verse 18. This is what the parable means. That anyone that hears the message but cannot understand it, the evil one can come and take it away. And that's what it is. We're going into the space to be like right now. For some people, the love of a father doesn't mean anything. It means abuse. And so we have to show God's love first so that the seed of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ can go into a heart and bring a harvest. It says, go into all the world and make disciples of all men, taking people on a journey from where they are to where God wants them to be. And that's what we get to do when we engage in the space to say, you know what? We are going to take the time to soften the ground so that the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ can go into hearts. And that's power. And there's so many other things we could go into about the impact that this has as we begin to engage in it. And I'm not talking about every one of us getting out there, starting our own charity and dedicating everything that we have to it. But to say, you know what, as a Christian, this is an indispensable part of my Christian work is to engage in this space and to care and to love people that are broken and that are hurting. And honestly, you know, it begins to like hit home, you know? we like... I must be there. We must be there as a church to actually care for these spaces to make sure that the message of God's love continues to go. Roughly those six areas, they cover about 20% of New Zealand's population. So if we say that salvation is for all, then we must find a way to reach that 20%. And in our own lives, we must be committed to be like, I'm going to end my life with God saying, I never knew you. That I will know God, God will know me as I engage in this space. And it transforms my heart from the inside out. You know, I didn't cry from when I was 15 to I was 25, 10 years about crying. I've been crying so much lately, man. Oh my gosh, I was scared I was going to cry up here this morning. I don't want to do that. But it is not just about being like, hey guys, let's do more. I'm saying let's allow the revelation of who God said to go inside our heart and change us from the inside out. That This is not a burden. This is not heavy. This is, this is a joy that we get to outwork God's love and share how valuable and how loved every single person is through our actions. Why don't we stand to our feet right now in this place? You know, I just want to pray for us in a moment that we would continue to receive this revelation, that it would change us, making our lives better, our Christian walk more exciting, more alive, more full of who God is, which is joy and life and peace and hope. And that that would also continue to send out a clear message of love and hope and value to people that need it most. Father, we just pray right now. You can lift your hands if you feel comfortable. Father, I admit that I have not given everything. I have not opened my heart to you in this area fully, Father. And we just pray right now you begin to reveal yourself to us. 
in this area, Father, that it would be a joy, that there would be a hopefulness, that there would be solutions, creative ideas that begin to flow as we begin to see those that are hurting and broken, that You are close to, the Bible says, and I'm close to the brokenhearted, that I will save those whose spirits are crushed. And Your Word also says that You fill us with the fullness of comfort, that we would all be comforted here to overflowing so that we may comfort those anyone who is in trouble. Father, we just pray that right now, that we would be filled, not just with the overflow of love and joy and comfort, but with the way to express it to those that need it. Father, we just pray that in the name of Jesus, would you move in this place? Holy Spirit, come and begin to move right now. Blessing and healing, and filling to overflowing, that we be able to fulfill your image, your identity through this area, we pray. Thank you for joining us for the Arise Church podcast. We hope this message has blessed you. For more content or resources, visit arisechurch.com. Matiwa, see you soon.